Covering Entrepreneur Show. If you want to watch us on the YouTube, go ahead and hit subscribe. And I'm, I'm in agreement with Ken about reaching out if you need anything. So thanks, Ken. Okay, so it's nice to have you on. It's it's kind of an unusual interview for me, and I'm sure it is a little bit for you. Bobby and I are both uh, entrepreneurs and speakers, and we uh, we both like to share information with our audiences. So, Bobby, let me ask the first question. Why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got started in what you're doing? Oh, that's a great question, Ken, because most of my life, I'm like, I'll never be an entrepreneur. Totally made me crazy. I didn't like the idea of the responsibility. I wanted somebody else having my health insurance. So for me, what ended up happening was my gambling addiction. As I as I went through my recovery journey... I started getting, this might sound a little woo-woo, but I got this vision about building recovery playgrounds is what I call them. And what that looks like is a building where people can go that would do everything from mutual aid support to a restaurant to sober events. So that's what my vision is. So I'm just cruising along in entrepreneurial land, trying to figure out how to get there. And to also raise awareness around gambling addiction because it's such a serious problem. It is. And, and a lot of people don't realize that gambling addiction is uh, as bad or uh, maybe in some cases worse than, than some of the other addictions. I, it's really interesting. Uh, and, and Bobby doesn't know this because th- this is totally unscripted. So, uh, But I worked with a gentleman that had a gambling addiction. And he and I worked together in El Paso. This would have been oh, close to 30 years ago. And I didn't realize when I first knew him that that was what his challenge was because he was probably the best sales manager I'd ever seen. And he worked with me in a company for a while. And then he went to California and he invited me to come out and go to work for that company in California. And so I did that. And very quickly, uh, I found out uh, that that was what his challenge was. And and he wound up, uh, in fact, the owners uh, took him into their house and he lived with them for a while. But he just couldn't stop the gambling, and it cost him his job, it cost him his career, it cost him his family, you know, and it was such a, a heavy price to pay for something that some might view as, as, as harmless, you know, but when it gets a hold of you and you can't turn loose, it is a definite problem. Wow, thanks for sharing that, Ken. It is the difference between gambling and probably any behavioral addiction versus substance abuse is you can't tell it right? You, you couldn't smell gambling on your employee's breath. You, you know, he doesn't look hungover, maybe if he spent all night at the casino or whatever his thing was, but it's not as obvious. So it's a little bit more secret. And because it's ingrained and normal, you know, we go to the casino for recreation, there's always concerts or, you know, depending on the venue. So that's part of why it's important to share the message. And a lot of people are impacted that don't know about it, just like your story. So thank you for that. Well, I was wondering if we were, um, we were taking turns, if you wanted to do your intro. Bobby and I had to sort out exactly what we were talking about today a little bit, because I, I have two passions in life and both of them show up on YouTube channels. My first passion is travel. I, I love going. 
and uh, my wife travels with her wheelchair. And so as a result, I found that when we went places, we couldn't find answers to what was going on. So I started a YouTube channel. And for those that are that know me from the business world, you may not know this about me. So you're learning. Um, but I started a YouTube channel. It's called Traveling with a Chair. And the focus of it is to provide information. And I do interviews and, and videos of, of places we visit to show how things work traveling when you use a wheelchair. And I expanded my 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 niche a little bit, basically any kind of challenge, because I talk to the cruise lines, I ask about autism, blindness, uh, hearing impairment, all of the different kinds of things that people face, so that there's a place they can get the answers that will be helpful. On, on the business side, uh, I had been a service manager for years uh, in the as a district service manager for the manufacturers. So I would go out and help dealerships uh, solve problems, technical problems they couldn't. And during that time, I had the opportunity to watch uh, the really top technicians get promoted into service management positions and then struggle and fail. And I felt so sorry, but, but the challenge was is there wasn't any good training available. There wasn't a, a program. There were, there were people that taught little slices of it, but nothing that said, hey, if you're a manager, here's what you've got to learn. Here's what you've got to know. So when I retired a couple of years ago, I started a program I worked through with a trade organization where I teach service managers how to be managers, what matters in managing service, how to manage people, how to deal with customers, and to try to provide them some help so that they get better. And, and that expanded into I'm getting ready to move into just management in general. And my, my business YouTube channel is all about uh, management and topics related to management. Oh, I love that. I'm going to have to check it out because management is a tough one. And you're right. There's a lot of industries where people get promoted because they're very good at the frontline task. So that's who gets promoted, right? I think that's what I'm hearing you say, but they've never been developed into leaders. They don't know how to communicate with people to get things done. Am I on the right track of what you're doing? Uh, that is exactly right. And, and, and these guys in the service business, they were really good at fixing equipment, but they had never had to fix a person before. Right. You know, and that's a whole different mindset, a whole different skill set. Oh, I love what you're doing on both on both avenues. I love traveling myself and not having that situation. I don't know that I would have ever thought about helping people in a chair or whatever challenge like you're doing. So that's another amazing cause. And I love that we have in common, we have like our, our missions and then like bringing our skill sets to life. I think that that's wonderful. It's interesting. I, I have enjoyed, I uh, started doing a lot more interviews lately and I really love the interview process and ta- I love talking to people. I guess this is the thing. My wife would tell you that, that you can't shut me up. <laughs> you know, She needs an off switch or a mute button, but yeah, you know, I really enjoy the process of talking to people and discovering what they know and what they've learned and, and the interests that we often have in common. Since both of our audiences will be listening to this, what does your process look like to help those managers? Like, what is your model? Is it a coaching model? Do you have online courses? Like, what does that look like? Okay. And so what I do right now is I have a, a client for service management and I'm in the process of developing that into both a video course and a book. 
Um, you know, nobody, well, let me phrase it. There's been one book written about copier management in the service industry, and it was uh, by a, a lady named Ronell Ingram. And it was, it was an amazing book, but it was really a collection of articles. It wasn't a systematic, here, let's start here type of, a, of an approach. And so my, in my class, what I'm doing is as I go through each class, I make that, I turn that into a chapter of the book. And I, I only have a few left, and then it's then it becomes the hard work of doing the editing and making sure that it's coherent. And but I, I basically start out with defining what a supervisor is. And, and a lot of times, people think of supervisor as as being a kind of flat uh, position, but in reality, it's a collection of being a mentor, a manager, a trainer, a coach. You know, all of these different things. You know, you have to help people with time management. I, I use the analogy there of firefighting versus fire prevention because too often new managers get so wrapped up in the firefighting process because that's what they're used to and that's easy. So it's easier to get a tool bag and go fix a piece of equipment than it is to sit down and figure out how to keep the equipment from breaking so often. You know, and and so I and that's where I start with, and then I go into to. Uh, the process of, of coaching in, in people and training them. And then we start into customers. I, and it's, it's interesting because this is a lot like a college course. I have two books that are required reading in the, in the introductory course. And then I have an advanced course that has three books that are required reading. They have to do a book report live in class. I like that. It's designed to, it's kind of like the university of Phoenix model. Cause it's, it, it's different than a lot of coaching programs in that this is a, it's scheduled but it is very much it's lecture and question and answer and, and discussion. And, and it's really interesting to watch the interaction of the students in the class as they, as they not only learn from me, but they learn from each other. I love that. What's going through my head right now is College of Ken. That's what uh, <laughs> I, I never thought of that strategy. And in my audience, hopefully for the most part or whatever, but is entrepreneurs. And I don't know that I've heard anybody say that. And I've been in a lot of classes. The coaching model has been very, I think my experience is they're teaching, they might give you a webinar, but nobody's ever formalized a curriculum like what you're talking about. There's no syllabus. You never know what's coming. And I think it's because a lot of the coaches, at least from my experience, they teach us just to be one step ahead of the student instead of being as thoughtful and as strategic. So I love that your business piece is probably how you're formulating the your strategy. Well, and, and I did because I, I sat down before I brought this to, to market and I thought, okay, you know, what is it they need to learn? And I, and I took it from the perspective of, Let's model a university course rather than a coaching program. Now, I'll do coaching, and, and I'll help people if they have specific problems. But my focus in, in my training is let's give them A to, a to Z, you know, the, because they need so much. And, and that's been the problem, I guess, in the past, and that's part of why I went the direction I did, is, is it was also little tiny pieces of this or a little tiny piece of that. So it might be about numbers or it might be about uh, – you know, solving equipment problems, those kinds of things. But I, I, like I said, they needed a much bigger, a much broader spectrum. So it seemed like a course was the easy way to do it. 
is, is 14 weeks twice a week. Wow, the, that's intense. The advanced course is 19 weeks for once a week, but that's because the homework in the in the advanced class is much more in depth because uh, you know they have to work on little projects like writing a business plan for their department. Wow. You have me so excited right now. You have no idea. This premise is I got to recenter myself and get focused because I I love this. The homework piece, the strategy behind it. So will this transfer to people other than just copy people who work with the photocopiers? Is it any technician? Well, the first two thirds of the class is just management. So, you know, I, I go through the, the part about managing, you know, the basically like a broad of what supervision is. And then, like I said, I start down into, okay, here's your team. How, how do you motivate your team? One of the, the assignments, a good, a good example, and this is one we just did recently, is uh, I tell them to figure out what they want to get accomplished. In other words, to find some objective and to develop a motivational plan that will get their their employees to achieve the results they want. And then they have to figure out so that they can explain it to their boss what the value of the plan is. In other words, what they what the ROI would be, what it would cost, you know, and then what are they going to use? You know, what what is their carrot that they're going to use to get the employees engaged? Nice. So how do you find time to travel if you're doing all these courses every week? Well, I, I haven't gone anywhere in a year. I, I literally, I have, I have been in in one building other than my house uh, in in the entire since uh, the first of April last year. I've gone into one pizza restaurant that I couldn't get delivery from twice to pick up an order with mask and gloves on. Wow! Yeah, you know, uh, but I I am old. I, I have asthma, so this is not you know I'm a high risk uh, for getting COVID. You know, or, or being bad if I do get it. So I just. I stay home, you know. Can I shift gears for a moment, Ken? Sure. Since part of my journey really ties into recovery and recovery ties into mindset, I'm curious, you're a pretty upbeat guy. You're moving forward. You don't even say negative words as far as I can tell. Like you you say challenges instead of problems and just how you show up is a very positive thing. And I cannot imagine being in my house this whole time. So would you mind sharing with our audiences, maybe some of that strategy behind your mindset and how you continue to be so positive because everybody's dealt with this, right? But not everybody's handled it as gracefully as you. So I would love to tap into that. Okay. Well, I I can share several things and my wife and I have gone through our share of problems. My wife's her back is fused from her shoulders to her tailbone. She's got an artificial knee, two artificial hips, plates in both wrists. So she's been through a, a ton of things and, and we've had our ups and downs. We had a business and we, we got to the point in our business where I, one day I didn't think I was going to be able to make payroll. And I had to go out and, and basically give away a piece of equipment for cash so that I could get enough money in the bank to make payroll that day. Part of it is, is the one thing that we've learned is, is it's just about going forward. My wife is more of a warrior than I am, but I, I have a, a philosophy that there is no sense worrying about things. If you can't change it, don't think about it. You know, it, it doesn't do you any good. It just drags you down. 
think about, you know, what is it I can do to, to go forward? What can I do to, to advance my cause, whatever it is that I'm working on? How can I get one step closer? What, what is the next thing that I can do that will move me forward? And focus on that. You know, part of it is, you know, is, is that I have, you know, very strong religious convictions. And that serves to provide me, um, let's say, serves to center me. I've, I've gone through my share of problems in the past, but I prefer to just to think about things from the positive. And, and one of the other things that I'll say that, that motivates me, and somebody asked me about my why the other day in an interview, and this is only the second interview I've done of me, uh, and this is kind of a mutual interview, but um, they asked me, what is your why? And, and I take a great deal of pleasure in helping other people. You know, uh, there's a statement that I love. It says there's more happiness in giving than there is in receiving. And by looking for ways to help others, we stop focusing on us and our problem and our situation. And we start looking at, okay, first of all, there's a lot of other people out there that are in worse situations than we are. And if I can do something to help them, it makes me happy. A, A good example of something that brought me joy last year was my wife and I garden. You know, and you were asking, this kind of ties into how I've uh, been able to deal like I do. My wife and I love to garden, and we had a good garden last year. We were home. We had a time to take care of it was part of it. But we had friends, uh, young friends that were healthy that would come up to the house, and we'd leave bags of vegetables, and they would take the vegetables and share them with people that we knew that we were acquainted with that were less fortunate than we are. You know, and we, we got pleasure out of growing it, and we got a lot of pleasure out of giving it away. And the one thing I would say is find some positive activity and stay involved in it. My business has gotten a lot of attention in the last year. You know, I've made a lot of progress with both of the things that I'm doing. Um, we were talking a little bit before the interview. You know, I, I now have so many people lined up to be interviewed that I have to start making notes on who I'm talking to and why. Um, but I have focused on doing that and time flies. I, you know, part of it is as you get older, time goes faster anyway, seems to go faster, but you know, it's hard to believe that there was a year ago. I gave a speech. In fact, a year ago, last Friday, I gave a speech at Walt Disney world to a, a group of uh, people in the copier industry, the trade organization meeting. And that was, we came home from that and we haven't gone anywhere. I had four cruises canceled and I could whine and cry about it, but it is what it is. You know, like I said, I can't change it. So don't, so why think about it? Does that answer your question a little bit? It does. And I'm sure maybe you've heard of the serenity prayer and that's, you know, part of the context around that. So again, in my recovery persona, I totally get it. But to hear you talk about living it is just very, it's very it's very humbling and impressive that you're living it that way. So I love that you shared that with us. Oh, well, thank you. Um, and like I said, it, it, it just makes me happy. You know, I, I, I focus again. I, I like to focus on the things that make me happy. At some point in time, I'll get to travel again and I'll, I'll go out and tell life stories. It's kind of interesting. It's forced me to be creative. I did an interview the other day with a gentleman at a property in Mexico and he had his cell phone hooked up to their Wi-Fi, and he walked around with his cell phone telling me about the property, and we were looking at all the accessibility features 
on pretty much on this whole all-inclusive resort. And that video has gotten a huge number of, of views on it. That's brilliant. So you, it's just about you. I, and I would say this too. And I would say this is true of any entrepreneur is you have to get out of the box. And it's interesting that I talk about, I see technicians that if you pointed, if you stood them at the mouth of a big empty box where they could walk into it, that their method of troubleshooting is such as they would walk into the cardboard at the other end and just keep bumping into it, trying to go through it rather than turning around and then looking around. You know, we, we, and it's easy in life to get tunnel vision. And I guess that's what I'm saying is, is that it's easy to get tunnel vision. We focus on things that, you know, or a problem or, you know, that something that, that is, we've got blinders on, we'll go straight into it. And if you'll get outside the box and you think about, okay, how, what else could I do? You know, in, in other times I'd have gone to that resort in person and done the filming. It's not other times. So you think about, okay, how else can I do this? Uh, yes. And I, I don't know if I'm in the majority or what, but I'm like grateful for COVID as far as developing the world's and that creative problem solving. So for example, in my world, we have, um, we have recovery meetings that I go to three times a week or did pre COVID or there's, you know, and we had people that were driving an hour, hour and a half because it, it was a one of a kind program in all of New York state. And now people have access in a different way. People that were afraid of the technology almost had to overcome it to be inclusive and to get the benefit of things. And I feel, I, I don't know why it doesn't feel like I have more time. It feels like I should have more time because things are becoming expedited, right? If we're not in the car where, you know, we gain the drive time and things like that. So I'm really, I'm happy that we get to be outside of our traditional box. I feel like it almost propelled us into the future by 10, 15 years. Oh, I, I think so too. And I think that for, for those of us that, that are adapting and, and learning to use it and thinking about this, you know, and being strategic with, with what's happened, we can do things, like you said, so much easier. I mean, it's like you and I having this conversation, you know, it, it, now it becomes very easy to do this. You mentioned in, in the, you were talking about in, in your recovery program. So you're doing those now on Zoom or some kind of like Teams or something? Yes, we use, we use Zoom and because, you know, HIPAA and all that good stuff uh, in our community, they send us a link and we ha- they still have group three times a week. Yeah, that's very good. Now you were talking about, tell me more about your uh, recovery playgrounds. And then I have something to tell you. I, I found something that, that, uh, that was kind of interesting the other day that I'll, I'll share with you in a minute, but go ahead. So here's my vision, and I haven't, Ken, I haven't put this out there in in great detail publicly. I've shared this with my friends, but I've never had children, and I am the person that on every airplane or every mall, there's a screaming child, and they seem to find me, and one of the things I see parents do is, so I didn't have them because I'm kind of too selfish. It it was just, you know, it was a mindful decision. I didn't think I'd be a good mother. Well, I watch other parents. They're so giving, right? If they went to the museum or amusement park, it's about the child's experience. Then in recovery, people relapse due to boredom 
or not knowing how to find new things to keep their mind stimulated in a healthy way. So I'm merging those two concepts and it's called three, two, one, no kidding, like my show, because no kids are going to be allowed in. And three, two, one is my clean date from gambling. So the way I imagine this is you go in and, and of course I'll, now I'll have to talk to you about solutions for um, chairs and, and, and different things like that. So that I, I thought about it a little, but anyway, I'm getting derailed. So I picture it being as fun as you walk in, you go down a water or a slide into a, into a ball pit as an adult and you just do fun things. I want a finger painting station. I want roller skating and I want things that are about my recovery. So like my favorite band is Blue October. I want to have a blue room that only plays their music. And that menu will be a little different than my Zumba room that'll play Latino music and have more of a Latino flavored menu. I also want to be able to have a place where if somebody wants to have, so this is, this is the, this is the line. This is what I ask everybody. Where can you go where there's no alcohol, no gambling and no children simultaneously? And nobody can answer that question. It, it doesn't exist today. So if somebody wanted to have a sober wedding, they can go, but chances are there's alcohol on site or being in a pool league or a dart league or a volleyball league. It's always at bars or places that support alcohol. I had a friend just go, you know, they throw axes at woods now as a, entertainment. And I was like, well, let me know if there's a bar there. There's alcohol at an axe throwing place. Like, what is wrong with us? That, that, that seems like a, <laughs> well, wait, wait, let me phrase it. I, I could see it from two perspectives. I, I could see the dangers that would be inherent in that. But I could also see that the, the group of people that might think that was fun might be people that think beer is pretty good too. <laughs> right. Well, it's scary to me. It sounds really yeah. scary to me. So I think that there's this whole need for what I'm trying to build and what I'm envisioning. And I was working a really good job as of last year and I was making over six figures. But what I realized was I would never get to the couple million. Like, I feel like I need to earn a million or two or three, whatever, to prove to the investors when it comes time to ask for money to go, look, I just made $2 million in the last year. I could do anything. Trust me with your money so that we can make this dream come true. So that's what my recovery playground project is. That's not interesting. I, 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 will, I will share a, a thought for you that, that might, might be of interest to you because uh, depending on the situation, there are some small ship cruise lines. And, and the one that comes right off the top of my head, and that's just because I did an interview with them, American Cruise Lines where they may only have uh, 70 passengers on the boat is all. So you could do whole ship charters and get them with no alcohol on board where they would just not have any alcohol available. That is great. That ties perfectly into the brand. I love that. Thank you. Uh, they do, they have, a, they're doing a cruises in Alaska, which is one of the few cruise lines and Alaska is an amazing place. Uh, just uh, Alaska is my favorite destination. And that ship's a little bigger. I want to say they're doing, I think it'll do 150 or so. But again, depending on the size of, of the group. Now, it's not, it's not low budget, but the other side is, is that it, it gives you a safe environment to spend a week uh, 
or three days or whatever that you want to do. I went on a recovery retreat last year, an alcohol-free recovery retreat. We went to Thailand and Cambodia and it was not a cheap, a cheap um, endeavor by any means. But what I realized is, and I have a little app on my phone that tells me how long it's been since I had alcohol. And so far I've saved $12,000 by not drinking. So the $6,000 trip wasn't an option. And that's what happens when we remove some of these vices out of our lives. So I don't know. I know money's money's money, but um, I, I wouldn't consider that an obstacle just based on my experience with it. And, and, and that's a, that's a, you know, that's, that's very interesting perspective because these, you know, if you're doing, if you're not doing a charter, just on a regular cruise, these ships are, might be, you know, $6,000 for a week, but that includes your shore excursions, all your meals, all of, of everything, you know, other than your flight round trip out of, uh, to, to Juneau. So there, and, and you can do them. They are, they're going to offer the same, they have the same ship as, or well, same style of ship, but smaller operating New England cruises. And there's one that they're currently sailing out of Jacksonville to Charleston and back. So there's, there's, there's options to do things that way. So that's just, anyway, that was an idea. I love that. And I was going to ask you where your favorite destination was. And Alaska is where my trip got canceled last year. We were supposed to do an Alaskan cruise. Uh, Alaska is far and away my, my favorite destination in part because so much of it is unruined by man. Ah. You know, it is, it is the way it was, des- life was designed to be. Uh, obviously you get into the big cities and, and, but when you're cruising, especially in Alaska, you're going by like, you know, this picture behind me, this is a piece of vinyl that I use for a backdrop, but you have those, those things. Well, you're sailing like that in Alaska and there's nothing, there's no wires, no buildings, no nothing on these islands, you know, and it is just such, so amazingly beautiful. Uh, my wife and I have been to Alaska. We made three trips to Alaska. We've flown through uh, Anchorage besides that. And we had a cruise last year that was canceled. I just moved this year's cruise to next year. But it is just such an amazing place. I will say this, though, that there are lots of options of places to go and see. It's just a little bit of research to find the ones that, that meet your requirements. So let me ask you this about recovery. Do you find that that staying busy makes it easier? That if you find yourself, if you keep yourself wrapped up in work, that it's better than when you have time on your hands? Yes, 100%. But not just work. We got to make time to play. That's That's part of my mission and my message. Because if it was just work, it almost turns into a different addiction. And I used to always put work first. Then I lost my identity in that because it was always work, work, work. And for being in the communities, like, again, this last year, there's been people who haven't had jobs and they absolutely, the risk of them going back out to gamble again is much higher than someone with a full calendar. My schedule, I usually have options like Tuesday nights, for example. And I say this because last night is Tuesday night. I can either be at an alcohol-free meeting a business owners meeting or with um, Blue October, my favorite band, his recovery meeting. So how do you decide? And that's kind of how I keep my schedule. There's always, there's always a choice or a lot of things going on. And I don't, I don't have time to think about 
going back to the casino. I walk by the casino every day. I live in front of a casino. So I walk by it when we do our walks. And even that, I don't even notice that I'm walking by it most days. I mean, I'm aware it's there, but my mind is so busy and full with other things. So that's exactly the point. Well, I was, and that's, that was kind of where I was going with that is, is that when your mind becomes occupied with things that are positive, excuse me, uh, that, it, that it tends to, in part, take the negative way. I, I, that's part of what's made my staying home so easy. You know, my wife and I, besides, that, besides the um, garden, we also keep bees. And then she helps me with my business. And, you know, and so we, we stay uh, very busy, very, very, very busy. Wow, I didn't realize you kept bees too. You got your hands on a lot of good outdoorsy stuff. Yeah, and of course, I, my, my wife and I like to, we're both inveterate gardeners. Uh, the, my wife thinks the plants are her babies. She's always threatening me, you better not do something that kills my babies. <laughs> uh, I have a couple girlfriends in Colorado. They actually have been naming their house plants. It's like a new, it's a mother daughter and it's kind of new to them, but they've been literally naming them and they'll tell us on Facebook or when I was at their houses, oh, this is, you know, George. And it's, it's really cute. I, uh, I worked in floral for many years. So, but I'm, I tried to garden one year and there, I saw a snake and I never did it again. <laughs> uh, well, I don't mind the snakes. The, the snakes are good for keeping out of the things that I don't want. Uh, I, I wish, I wish we had big tree snakes that ate squirrels. Uh, where I live, the squirrels are so bad you can't get you can't hardly garden because of of, of squirrels. But I had to, I had to literally enclose uh, 600 square feet with chicken wire and bird netting so that I have a space for my tomatoes. Oh, wow! Yeah, and that gives you a, a scope of how big the garden is because I have 600 feet that's set aside for tomato well tomatoes and melons. It alternates back and forth. But uh, anyway, um, so. Let me ask, I know you, you, you mentioned that we were both from Adventure, went through Adventure Reach. And for those that, that don't know anything about that, that was an amazing program where you learn to speak and, and to become effective communicators. And I love that. And, and I don't know if you, if you saw my post, but I, I actually got invited to speak uh, in Australia. And so I'm doing a series of, of three speeches uh, virtually in Australia coming up, which was, was kind of interesting. And that's one of the things, both for you and I'll share for the audience in general, is I think that too many business owners don't look at speaking as an opportunity to get their message out. Even if you, you know, and I'll go to, to what I'm familiar with. If you're in the copier business, there are trade associations that operate in your community where you could go in and give a speech, you know, and make it educational, make it valuable and, and become a, a credible expert in other people's eyes, which then starts to, to attract business to your company. That's such a great point. I never thought of it from that perspective before Advance Your Reach. It makes a lot of sense the way they teach us. And in, in college, and I went in my 30s, I had a public speaking class. And in my career, I had to train and teach and I was in front of the rooms. But the skills that they've opened my eyes to in delivery and this virtual stuff too, like where your eyes should be with the camera. And there's so many facets to it. So it's a beautiful program to help with that. And you're right to be on. So this is, uh, I don't know if this will mess you up, but in March it's gambling awareness month. 
So I was interviewed by the problem gambling for the state of New York. So that's a speaking engagement, but I wouldn't have thought of that before. And I might not have delivered the content or the message as well without some of the training. I would have been just talking like I used to talk. And and the podcasting too, I think really helps tremendously. I work on my ums and my vocabulary and all of those things. I don't do a lot of editing either. I want to improve my skill and I think it helps. I don't script anything. And a lot of that comes from this developmental. So let me ask you this. What other, what other skills do you think are important for entrepreneurs to be successful? A couple of things that I think are huge that people overlook. And my, my number one thing, and I'm, I'm have uh, some podcasts coming and a course coming on, on this process is business planning. And I am not talking about the pretty documents you take to the bank. That's not what I'm talking about because that's all smoke and mirrors. I know I've done that. I created <laughs> one of those, you know, and it was designed to make the banker want to give me money. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that when you take a smoke and mirrors uh, proposal to the bank like that, that they probably see right through the smoke and mirrors. And, and, and that has a negative impact on your ability to borrow. But I'm talking about creating a, a plan that is a list of steps that's going to get you from where you are to where you want to be. I use this as an example, because in my service management classes, I'm probably around 40 plus students now. And I've always asked this question in the introduction class. How many of you have a business plan for your service department? Zero. None of them. And yet in the copier industry, and this is true of a lot of industries, that from the time you hire somebody off the street till they're fully effective is three years. Wow. So if you're hiring somebody today, you're hiring somebody for three years from now. And if you don't know where you're going to be three years from now, how can you make a good decision about hiring? I talk, I use the analogy that a lot of people drive their business looking out the door at the white stripe on the line, mm. on the street, you know, because you can do that. That's what your financials tell you and your, your current numbers and all that stuff tells you, you know, where you are today. But none of them tells you about the cliff that's ahead of you. And so it's it's about learning to look out and to look at what's coming on the horizon. In fact, in the business planning process, there are two tools. Most people aren't aware of one of them, and probably half the people don't know about the second one. The first one is called a, a PEST analysis. It stands for political, economic, social, and technology environments that your business is going to operate in. So when you think about five years down the road, what is going to happen that may change what my business, the environment my business lives in? You know, so is the the exchange rate going up or down? That's important if you're in a business that is multinational or depends on suppliers from overseas. So that's an important piece of it. What's going to happen uh, with the elections? You know, are, are we going to become more environmentally conscious or less. You know, all of these things are things that start to impact your business. And if you're not thinking about them, if you're not looking out there and saying, hey, what's on the horizon? And I'll, I use this example a lot and I'll share it with you. 
is typewriter dealers in this country. Okay, if you look around, there are no typewriter dealers. They're an extinct species. And a lot of typewriter dealers didn't pay attention to things like Wang and the word processor, IBM and the PC, and a couple guys named Hewlett and Packard. (laughs) And all of a sudden, the environment they operated, the technology environment they operated in became such that they no longer had a viable product to sell and a, a service anybody wanted. And those that were paying attention migrated into the copier industry and printing business and other things, those that weren't. And so you literally, when you're going to have a business, you have to think not only where am I today, but you need to plan for and work on where am I going to be in the future? What is the environment going to be like? And so that's the first piece of it is you do what's called a pest analysis. The second piece of it is, is you do what's called a SWOT analysis. What are my strengths and my weaknesses? What am I good at? What am I not good at? And then you look at opportunities and threats. And things that could be a threat could also be an opportunity. It just depends on can you if it's a change in technology that might make. Let's go back to the typewriter industry. I love this example. So for those people that were in the typewriter business that got into the laser printer business and got into the PC business or they got into the copier business, the the threat of technology actually became an opportunity for them. It was the people that that didn't see the threat and weren't looking for new opportunities. You know, and, and basically weren't looking. They were looking out the door. Everything's fine. <laughs> Feels like a cliff here. Uh, so th- that's one of my, my, my things that I would suggest people take away in, in general is, is that you have to be doing a business plan and you have to be realistic in it. Think about it as your roadmap. So for example, you think about where you are right now and where you want to be. And then think about what are the steps you know, how can I, how can I get from where I am to, to the next step? What's next? What do I need? I have my idea. What's my next step after I get there? What's my next step after that? Until you get to the, to the destination that you want to go. I love a quote. uh, This is from the seven habits book. and And he talks about begin with the end in mind. So what, what, is, what is your vision for your company? Where do you want to be? And, and then you start thinking about, okay, how do I get from there? You know, I tell uh, dealers and, and people in the class, I tell them to, to, to look out five years and figure out where you think your company needs to be in five years and then figure out, okay, what do I need to do this year that's going to move me in that direction? And if I know what I need to do this year, then I can figure out what I need to do this quarter. And if I know what I'm going to do this quarter, I can figure out what I need to do this week. And if I know what I'm going to do this week, I know what to do today. So that everything is intentional. Too many times, too many times people and businesses go through life and, and, and the results they get are really just an accident. They're not intentional. And I, I will use me as an example. I never in my entire life thought I would be in the copier industry. <laughs> I, you know, I just wound up there by accident. And a lot of the decisions I made were, they turned out well, 
but they were results of, of not being intentional. Now I've become much more intentional about where do I want to go? What do I want to achieve? So anyway, I'll, I'll get off that soapbox. No, I love your soapbox. I totally wholeheartedly believe, and I had a couple thoughts when you were speaking. First of all, I agree with you, especially in the entrepreneur arena. If they, if the business people didn't come from businesses, like that's where I learned what a SWOT analysis was. And they wouldn't have had that skill set, like a therapist. I have a lot of therapist friends. So they went to school, it was very focused on therapists. Well, I went to business school. So we talk about SWAT, we talk about those things, but the therapist may never know. And how do you move the needle to go from maybe therapist to coach or whatever their adventure is without thinking about the future and thinking about those things? And then if you want, I'll share my, I've been trying to not get hung up on the how, right? That's what a lot of the coaching and what I've learned this last year. So I shared with you my vision and I'm going to give you just a fun example because this is something that I'm working on. I don't know if it's going to pan out, but so I want to build recovery playgrounds and I want them in strategic places throughout the country, right? So that's the five-year plan. Well, I know that I can't be in multiple places building them at the same time. So I want to move into an RV, so again, back backtracking, right? So the RV, I can drive from place to place and listen to a bunch of audio books that make me smarter, hopefully. Okay, well, if I want to be in an RV, what do I have to do to do that? So there's things with credit, there's things with preparing your house. So that's what was going through my head. I was like, okay, I'm on Ken's track here because I got the five-year working it backwards. I reached out to a big company and said to them, hey, RVs are like, on the rise, your company does a great job offering parking for them, but I don't know that you're talking to them in social media. Do you want to work together and I'll help you talk to that audience? So, you know, that's kind of in process, but it gets you thinking a little differently. And to your point, to bring it full circle back to your creativity, six months ago when I decided I want an RV, I never thought about partnering with somewhere where you can park RVs in order to get the plan and help me move the needle and help them. Cause I think that's another part too, right? Here we are mutually doing an interview. It's a win-win. And I think that that has to be another piece of business is, is what works for both people. And, and I think that's so true. And I think that's an interesting piece because not only could you partner with the people that are doing the, the RV parks, places to park, Try parking, partnering with an RV company. Yes. And, and then to find a sponsor that would help sponsor your mission to help it's fund that. On. To go back to your idea, here's a, here's a thought. I tell people I'm like a buffet. I'm full of ideas. Some of you won't like, some you will. But you could very easily start by, if you move into the RV and you're going to travel, is rather than building a permanent facility, Find a collection of things that you could rent and then rent a space where you could set it up. So you could have the playground, you could do it in different places, not, not necessarily take it with you, but think about, and this is just, again, it's kind of a bridge to where you want to go. And, and it may not suit your, your needs, I don't know. But I, what I was thinking was, you're looking for big markets where there are you know, high concentrations of, of potential people that would be interested in it. And it lets you do a proof of concept to see if, if the demand is there. 
And so you could go somewhere and, and rent, uh, you know, like a, a convention center or, or a, like a civic center, you know, and maybe do it on an outskirt of a bigger metropolitan area where the cost to rent the space would not be that high. Pre-sell the tickets for it so that you can fund it and then get, like I said, a sponsor or two to help you with that, you know, with, with making sure that, you, that it's economically viable. And then find some things in, in, in now, now we go back to ask your 10 target clients, ask them the, what they would think would be fun. Right. Have that conversation, uh, addiction group that you're a part of, you know, and if you know people that are in part of other addiction groups, have them reach out to their friends and their connections. What, what, what would you think would be fun? And then put together, uh, you know, the things that are feasible you know, and, and you could, you know, uh, a bouncy house is, is a cheesy thing, but I'm just saying you could, you could rent somebody that does a bouncy houses and does things, put them together in the room and everybody could go in and play and have a good time. And, you know, you're not, you don't have the, the dollar commitment of a physical facility and, and you can start to refine the thought process. And this is a piece of business planning is test your ideas. You know, you want to say, okay, does this make sense? Is there demand for it? That kind of process would might be helpful. I hope everybody is picking up what you're putting down because what you're doing is you're teaching right now. You're taking an idea and you're explaining the practical process, right? Proof of concept and and asking for feedback and market research. So you're you're giving a lot of value here, Ken. That's perfect. And and I'm laughing because bounty house is in the plan, like part of my research the last couple of years is I've been going to things like a bouncy house. There was an adult bouncy house that was it moved through the country, showed up exactly what you're saying. So that, that model is, is out there. And it was, it was definitely helpful to see how many people showed up, how many kids versus adults. So I love that you're sharing that with everyone. And one of the ideas that I had which is another thing that I think that the audience might enjoy is watching two entrepreneurs and their creative mojo here is you've talked about travel and how you're supporting different facets of traveling with different obstacles. Well, have you thought about doing travel in RVs? Is that a conversation point? So there's a lot of room for collaboration, whatever the topic is. Okay, so uh, so I, I will share this with you. There are several people, and this is this is where you could probably get somebody maybe to sponsor you on this. There are people that that live full time in RVs and, and you know and f- film their their life. You yeah, know, that's so, what I'm going to do. I don't I don't want it part time. I literally want to move into it. Yeah, and, and, and I'll tell you the easy way to get st- rid of your stuff. Because the reason I know this is my wife and I moved from El Paso in a 1200 square foot house to a 35 foot RV in California and lived there for two years, have an estate sale. Okay. Yeah. We label it as an estate sale because it was everything must go, Mm. you know, furniture, everything, you know, if it wasn't going to fit in the trailer, you know, or the RV, then it had, it had, it had to go. So we just called it an estate sale and people will go to estate sales when they might not go to garage sales. Cause they think maybe there's better stuff like that. That's and that would be just, a, that would be a little bit of marketing one-on-one. Yes. That's great. Thank you, Ken. <laughs> wow. I, 
I can't even imagine the amount of value that your students get with, with your expertise. I love it. And I love all things business. So I'm really enjoying you sharing what you're sharing and tying it into practical examples. Cause sometimes that's hard too. Well, I think it is. And, and most entrepreneurs don't come from business school. They, there are some courses out there on, on, you know, how to create the, the quick and pretty business plan for the bank. And then I, I see a lot of those and I've looked at some templates and stuff because that's on, it's on my radar as a, something to do is to create a course, but it, you need to think through this planning process series. And I, and anybody that wants to be an entrepreneur, it starts with what you're going to do. And then uh, the, the next piece of it is be a reader. And it was interesting I'm trying to think where I saw, saw somebody talking about it, but if you look at the great people that are successful and, and maybe it was a meme or maybe it was a, a little video interview piece I did. I don't, I don't, I, I lose track of where I see things, but the, no, it was, it was a, uh, it was an inspirational quote. And, and it said that, that the average person has a flat screen TV, the average successful person has a library. Oh, so appropriate. So and there are tremendous books out there. Uh, for for people, and I'll throw out some some titles that are some of these are a little older, but I can share some books that I'm, I'm a huge fan of, and and we can both put a link to them in the in the in the in the descriptions when you're looking at it. But required reading in my courses, and then so if you're in want to be in a management or you're going to be leading a team of people, the one minute manager is an amazing book. Customers for Life and the, and the thought process. And the, those two are both required reading in my introduction class. Customers for Life is by a guy named Carl Sewell. And he talked about uh, when he started his, he took over his dad's uh, Cadillac dealership in, in the Dallas area. And one of the first things he did was he sat down and he figured out how much a person that buys a luxury car would spend in their lifetime on luxury cars and this was now 30 years ago probably from the original time i read the book but the the number was about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. wow at that point in time and 30 years ago that was a lot of money yeah i mean it's a lot of money today but in, in 30 years ago that was huge numbers and he said you know when you change your mindset to treat every customer like they're worth two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to your business it affects the way you treat them. And in that book, he walks through you know, all of the things that he did. But he, it's, it's a real treatise on understanding customer service and building, in particular, service organizations. But I think that anybody would benefit from it. Uh, and in the advanced class, one of the books that they have to read is Leaders Eat Last. It's by um, Simon Sinek. And Simon Sinek is an author of, of Start With Your Why. And both of those books are books that, that I would encourage any person that wants to be in business to read. Because understanding your why, what's motivating you, why do you do it? It goes back to the, a little bit of the discussion earlier about I, I do a lot of the things I do because I enjoy giving to others and helping others. You know, I, I give away a lot of free content, a lot of free information. You know, I've been working on my travel channel for two years and I've probably made $40 in affiliate commissions off of it, you know, 
it's not about the money. It's about providing information that's helpful. But you have to understand your why. And part of it is that ties into understanding your why is what gets you going every day. And I think that that's probably true in dealing with addiction, too, because once you understand your why of why you want to stop and you think about that, that that gives you a a kind of a core that you can draw on. Okay, you know, this is, you know, whatever this is that I want to get out of my life or whatever I want to bring into my life, I have a reason to do that. And that reason is what helps you to, to go through the, the tough pieces. Because I will tell you this, that, that starting your own business, and, and I am very much a serial entrepreneur. I, I like starting business. I like business. To me, it's, and I thought about this too, because to me, business is a little bit of a game. I love the, the feeling that I get when I succeed at something. You know, that is another piece of my why. I like success. Now, have I failed? some rough times i've had some things that didn't go well yes but the thing is is you just get up and keep going forward you don't fail until you stop uh, uh sean Canelon is uh, was talking about uh, youtube videos and, and producing them and he made this statement he said you know your first videos are going to be failures but you're going to learn from them he said just fail forward faster Fail forward faster, and you don't fail until you stop. I love both of those. You know, so those are just things that, uh, and, and for those that are thinking about entrepreneurship, understand that. I, the one thing that I would suggest is until you validate your business model and you're really confident that you're going to become successful at what you're doing, do what you can to avoid employees. The one thing that I learned from my first business, which is why none of my businesses today, I have partners, I have contractors, I have no employees, you know, and, and we'll never ever probably have an employee again. Like I said, I have people I contract stuff out to, but once you take a hold of, or let me phrase it, say it differently. Once you have employees, you are now responsible for their welfare. Right. And that is a burden that you need to be sure you're willing to take on if you're going to hire somebody. Because when we were facing trouble, we went months without being able to cash our paychecks. Our employees' paychecks were always good. But we went months at times without being able to cash our paychecks. And, and things got tight. Things got hungry. So I, I will tell you this, that, again, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you know, ideally, if you can keep it a one man's band, life is easier. But make sure you're going, you have a high confidence of success before you start bringing in other people and becoming responsible. All of my friends, when we thought, thought when we had our business, thought, well, it, you know, you, you own your own business, you can do what you want. And I told them, <laughs> no, it, it's a lot more like grabbing hold of a tiger by both ears. Once you have a hold of those ears, you're pretty much out of options. You're going to do what the tiger wants to do. Yeah. You know, till the tiger gets you or you get the tiger tired. One or the other. You generated a question and then I lost it as soon as you started talking about the tiger. Oh, oh, the employee thing. So I had just heard, <clears throat> I like your strategy better, I think, with what I'm about to compare. But to your point, if you're doing the five-year planning, then you can see when you can afford employees, right? So you could be strategic if you were to have them. Something I learned last weekend at a conference was 
as far as building revenue and strategy that way, he said to me, and I actually went very wrong. I'm, I'm learning a lot of things the hard way, but he said in order to scale his business, his goal for the first month was to make enough revenue to cover the expenses for the second month. And then the second month to do the next couple months. And I was like, oh, like you can't get in trouble if you do it that way. So it's, it's really at the end of the day, it's all about planning, no matter how you look at it and, you know, trying your goals. And I'll tell you, there's been, there's been challenging days on my adventure for sure. I'm, I'm fortunate to be surrounded with people like you and people in our community that if I am having a bad day, I can raise my hand, but also to hear your story and be inspired and know that it's worth the effort on those difficulties. So I want to call that out too for our audience, because if the why is big enough, if, if it is that valuable and you believe in yourself, which not everybody does, that's part of the mindset piece, right? Mm -hmm. Is believing in yourself and, you know, everybody's probably capable. I don't know anybody in my world that isn't capable, but I can see their capability sometimes better than they can. So that's another hopefully takeaway for whoever's listening out there is we're capable of a lot more than we probably ever fathomed. I, I would agree a hundred percent with that. It's just, we've got to be willing to get out of sight of your customer, uh, your comfort zone. And, and I, I have a de definition for comfort zones that I'll share with you. Great. We think about a comfort zone. We could think of it as a rut. And the reason that people drive in the rut on a snowy road, you live in New York, right? So you, you know what it's like to drive in the snow. Yes. Where does everybody drive? They drive down in the ruts because it's easy, right? Yes. So if you dig a rut deep enough and you fill in both ends, do you know what you have? No. You have a grave. Oh, that, that could be the grave for your business. That could be the grave for your, your aspirations, your dreams. You know, we have, to, you could use it. Yeah. I, I, anybody can steal. I don't care. I, I, I borrow people ideas from a lot of people. I, I haven't met an idea that I wouldn't conscript somewhere along the way, but it, that's about, you know, it's about learning and it's about saying, okay, I'm going to have to do some uncomfortable things. If I'm going to change, uh, it's really interesting. I'm working with a gentleman right now on a project. And part of that project is to help, uh, people in the office business, office equipment space, change the, the model that they're used to because it's very much there. In a, I, that's why the typewriter analogy keeps coming up because I use it in talking to them that there are things that are going to change their industry and they need to think about getting out of their rut because if they don't, they could turn around and be like the typewriter dealer, just not exist anymore. True. And, and I would say that for anybody, no matter what business you're in today, and this goes back to why you've got to be looking out four or five years to see what's on the horizon, because none of us know for sure what's going to happen out there. But the one thing that is constant is change. So the environment we're in today is going to be different. Like uh, if we go back 14 months ago, who would have thought that I'd have been home in my house for a year? Or that you could take out alcohol from the local restaurant and drive away with it. <laughs> or there should have been so many changes. 
but the world that we live in changed dramatically. What the next change will be, we don't know. We don't know what the next technology is going to bring. We don't know that the world that we're in now will go back to the world that, where it was before. There's a huge um, sentiment that the distributed workplace is going to be a permanent piece of the, of the environment going forward. People working from home, it's worked well. Some people want to go back to the office because they like that structure. Other people, I, I work from home. I'm quite content to work from home. Um, now I forgot where I was going with that. But anyway, it, it, it's just one of those things. And so you, it goes back to the, the planning piece. You've got to be thinking about it. I love what you said about starting making enough money this month to pay next month's bills. And one of the challenges, if you're starting a brick and mortar or you're starting a business where you might have accounts receivable, one of the things that I didn't know in business is, is that you can sell yourself out of business. Because if you're having to pay for, for things you're selling before you get paid on them, if you sell enough, you're going to run out of capital to buy new. That was one of the mistakes I made is early on, I bought everything with cash so I wouldn't have payments. And I depleted my very limited cash reserves before I got my receivables flowing like they needed to. And again, it was, it was, that was a, something I learned from. It, it was it's a mistake I won't make again. But when you're trying to scale any business, you can outgrow your, your capability to manage it, or you can outgrow your capability to finance it. So you want to think about both of those things. And okay, what can I do? You can go back. <laughs> we always go back to the play app. Yes. Is, is how can I make this bite-sized steps that I can do and fund and manage? And now when I'm ready to take the next step up, maybe I'm ready to look at trying to get some help. Maybe that's what I need. Maybe I need to contract out. Maybe I can do this by myself and I can fund this by myself. Uh, it is easier to borrow money from the bank when you're successfully generating revenue. I made that mistake too. Again, I learned a lot along the way because when I had a good job and was making really good money, I could have gone to the bank and borrowed the money I needed to finance my business. Once, once you quit the job, it becomes much more difficult to finance it. And so those are all things that, again, and they need to be part of your process of thinking about your business and how you're going to do it. And to go one more circle back is, is I cannot stress enough, read books about business before you start, because make sure you want to be able to think through the plan and think through how you're going to market it. How do you find, you know, and this is one of the things that they talked about is where do you find, you know, from advanced reach, they talked about where do you find your audience? Where are the people that will want what you have? Yes. And you think about, okay, how, how can I find these people? What are the things that I can do to uh, attract the, 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 the people that, I, that will want to do business with me? Uh, part of it is, is you put your content out, if, and a good example is, is both of us with our YouTube channel and doing interviews. We're putting content out to find people that, that are part of our tribe. Uh, this is a, a Sean Cannell thing again, too. He said, your vibe will attract your tribe. Well, I like that. Yeah. You know, so people, not everybody's going to want what you do. Even if they need what you want, they may not want it. They may not know that they need it. True. You know, and you have to accept that because you can see their need maybe better than they see their need. 
Yes. So I just want to comment on a couple things that you said. Sure. You got to stop me or I'll talk all day. I know. Well, yeah, this is probably going to be my last uh, point, but, but I want to compliment it. Hopefully. So I went through that same learning curve um, that I didn't get the financing for my business before I quit my day job. And I learned this a really hard way. And I'm still actually struggling with this because nobody told me this. So I left the job with X amount of credit thinking I'd be fine. But the more credit you use, the more they take away, which then makes your utilization funky. And then the more you utilize, the more they take away, which so you're never getting caught up. It becomes a disaster. So if people are out there doing a side hustle, do your research on that. Because the credit card companies, I'm thinking if I haven't missed a payment, I'm in good standing. But that doesn't cover it all. So I just want to call that out as well. That was a yucky lesson, (laughs) if yucky is allowed to be said. And then to your point about business books, 100% agree. I have a subscription to Audible and it's books. I literally took a road trip, Ken, last year from September, the middle of September. I got home the beginning of November. And part of why I took the trip was so I could listen to the books undisturbed and to some of the course content with things I was taking. So strategic people are like, why are you driving? Well, because I want to listen to my books because that to me is play, but work. And it generated so many ideas. And the the point I want to make about this too is to your point, you're reading a lot, but also it's okay to reread the same books along your journey. The good ones that you mentioned, I just want to call this out because if you're at a different stage in the game, so year one, you read one of those books you talk about, by year two, you probably forgot about it or it hasn't become a priority or maybe it fits into your plan better. So like maybe you have employees a year later or that you have to teach that that customer is worth 250,000, whatever that looks like. I just want to say that the repetition is sometimes very helpful. I, I would agree a hundred percent with that. And it is, I said, you can have a lot of fun having a business. You can, you can really enjoy your life. There's a, again, one, I love uh, I have, there's a website called quote fancy and they have quotes and, and, and one of them that I love said that if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. And, and so I, you know, I love what I do. I really enjoyed how much we've been on the same page, Kenneth. This has been awesome. Well, it's been fun. I've, I've enjoyed our conversation. Again, for those of you that are not subscribed to our YouTube channels, please do so. You'll find links to, uh, Bobby's YouTube channel in the in in my description. Bobby's going to share my link in yours. Uh, so, so please subscribe to both of us. We'd love to have you on board, and we will see you guys next time. Thank you so much, Ken. Try to remember.